Praise the Lord. Turn in your Bibles today uh, to Philippians chapter 2. And starting in verse 5, we'll be going through verse 11. I'm going to be reading through uh, from the King James uh, version of Scripture. And we've actually got a lot, a lot of, uh, of Scriptures uh, to share with you today. So uh, keep up uh, with us if, if you can. And uh, I'm going to be talking about the reward of obedience. Obedience. You know, we're living in a day where uh, the pendulum has swung way too far over into kind of an easy, greasy type grace. Um, the, the problem is, is that many of us were, were, were brought up during a time where the pendulum had swung way too far over into works righteousness. And, uh, and so there was a needed adjustment to bring things back to the center. But as, as, um, as human beings are wont to do, uh, we go from one excess to another, one extreme to another. And there are, there are people out there that any time that you talk about obedience, they, they want to scream legalism or works righteousness, or salvation by works. And nothing could be further than the truth. Obeying God and obeying His Word is not works righteousness. It's simply love and faith demonstrated by a lifestyle that is dedicated to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How many knows He is our Savior, but He's also our Lord? And that was the great theme that... that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that this same Jesus, that, or, or that he said uh, to the Sanhedrin, this same Jesus that you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Savior. So he does expect and demand uh, obedience. Amen. So let's, let's look at it, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, excuse me, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father." We're going to be speaking on the subject, the reward of obedience. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear from your word today. Teach us, Lord, not only how to learn uh, um, about you, but to learn of you and to follow your example as we are empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would touch us in the, in the will of our being, that there would be a surrender of our will to your will and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen 
Amen and amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. Amen. Thank you, Lord. There, it is thought by some writers that, that this portion of Scripture, Philippians uh, 2, 5 through 11, there are some scholars that believe that this actually was the Apostle Paul quoting from a, a hymn that was very well known uh, among the early church, that this was part of their liturgy. It was part of the, the hymnology that they, that they sang in their services and that he was quoting from an established hymn uh, or perhaps a creed. It was something that was recited in the churches. It was something that they were familiar with uh, or it may have been of Paul's original composition. We don't, we, we don't know, but there are those that feel that this, the idea of this at least was deeply already rooted in the church when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. And Paul was, was using it to say, this is what Jesus did and this same mindset that Jesus had ought to be the mindset that you have. This passage is one of the, one of the greatest primers on the theology of the Incarnation. And when it is broken down into its parts, it, it makes uh, it absolutely clear that Jesus was in the beginning, as John said, he was the Word made flesh. The Word was in the beginning with God. The Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. Paul here confirms that and says absolutely unequivocally that the Lord Jesus, the the uh, the second person in the Godhead, the Word who became the man Jesus, that he was co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And yet he voluntarily humbled himself, although he was on equal footing with the Father. He humbled himself and did not consider, as some translations say, did not consider God had something to be grasped or held on to tightly, but he humbled himself and, and took upon himself the form of a servant, indeed the form of, of a man. The creator became a part of his creation and, uh, and humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. And because of that, the Father has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, the name at which Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the point of the quotation here is not simply to establish what Jesus did in the incarnation. Paul's whole point in establishing that is what we should do as a result or in response to what Jesus did in the incarnation. This is not just, and you know the term incarnation, it means in the flesh, that God came in the flesh. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He's God incarnate. But what we believe as Christians, we don't only believe that Jesus was God incarnate in the world, God in the flesh. We believe, because the Bible teaches, that we as Christians are the body of Christ, and just as the Father 
God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God uh, the Son came to earth, God in the flesh, that Jesus is still in the flesh in us. Now we, we know we're not Jesus, but we also know we are his body, right? And that he fills his body and that you and I as the body of Christ, we, we are still, God is still in the flesh, in the world, moving and acting in and through his church. And so Paul says this, this, is, a, this, is, a, this is a mind-blowing reality. To say that we've got the presence of God in us. This treasure in earthen vessels. So what's the attitude that we have by having this treasure? By having this lofty, exalted position? Do do we go out into the world and expect the world to kneel at our feet, bow at our feet and say, here here comes Christians and, 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 you know, we get the best deals at the, at the restaurants and the motels and because we're Christians and we get treated royally. I mean, is that, is that what our expectation is? I remember years ago, my grandparents telling me about a guy that was, was uh, kind of a half-wit, but somehow or another he had, had gotten a bishop's license and uh, somebody bumped into him accidentally. He said, you better watch where you're going. You just bumped into a church of God bishop. <laughs> Jesus says, is that the kind of attitude we ought to have is, is what Paul said? No, we're to have the attitude that Christ had. Who was co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit before the worlds began. All things were created by him. All things created for him. Without him, nothing exists. In all things, he has the preeminence. He's the Lord of heaven. And he voluntarily took upon himself the form of a servant, and, and made himself of no reputation. Now a good part of our life is spent trying to establish our reputation. In fact, and, and I know, I mean, I, I, I get that there's balance in everything we do, but in our day, it's not enough for the church to do good. The church has to have a picture to go on social media of it doing good. That it's, it's, it's not the work, it's the optics of the thing that matters. It's the way it looks. It's not what we do, it's what we do when the camera's rolling. It's what people think we're doing. It's what we get credit for doing. It's what, it's what makes the biggest splash. It's what, it's what establishes the biggest PR. But Jesus purposely made himself of no reputation. The only one that had a right to establish his reputation chose to make himself of no reputation. And so he said, this is the attitude, Paul said, that Jesus had, this is the attitude you ought to have with one another. Let this same mindset be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Well, what was ultimately his mindset? It was humbling himself, but but what did he humble himself to? He humbled himself to obedience to God the Father. So what's what's at the heart of this discussion 
is humility, yes, but it's humility that obeys. And that, and that the humility is the willingness to obey. Would you, would you rather be right and the whole world think you're wrong or be wrong and the whole world think you're right? What, 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 what value is there to you? Is it doing the right thing and getting no credit for it or doing the wrong thing and getting patted on the back for it? Because I can tell you that if you're going to do right, there's going to be times, especially in the immediate, that you're going to get criticized. You're going to get accused of being the exact opposite of what you are, of trying to do the exact opposite of what you're trying to do. Amen? And if you are swayed, listen, Jesus was condemned to death as a blasphemer. That was why the Sanhedrin condemned him to death. God in the flesh is accused of being a blasphemer. And when he was taken before Pilate, they said he calls himself the king. And Pilate said, are you king? He said, yeah, but not the kind of king you're thinking about. My kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom is established in the hearts of men. And so he's crucified for being an insurrectionist when he was not. He's, he's condemned by the Sanhedrin of being a blasphemer, which he's not. And what does the Bible say? Like a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. <laughs> Amen. So obedience. Well, first of all, we want to look at the reason for obedience. And I'm going to try to go through these rather quickly. Reasons for obedience. First of all, there is the fear of consequences. I put this one first because this is the way I was raised. <laughs> there were consequences to disobedience. <laughs> so Romans 13, 2 through 4. Whoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Uh, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Now, I've, I've used this before. I'll say again very quickly. I don't have to look around when I walk through downtown Douglas to see if there's a policeman to keep me from throwing a brick through the window. Okay? Why? Because I'm not a, I'm not a thief. I'm not going to rob whether there are cops around or not. I'm not, I'm not a thief. However, when I'm on I-75, I absolutely need one of God's ministers in blue. The threat, the thought of them being out there to keep me from going a lot faster than I should. Amen or oh me, right? And God loves me so much that every once in a while when I get a little too lead-footed, God wants to keep me safe that he sends one of his messengers in blue to give me a handwritten note to remind me to be safe. So I obey the speed limit sometimes because 
there's consequences. You say, well, preacher, you ought to do it anyway. Yeah, but we ain't talking about me. We're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about the Bible. <laughs> he that's without sin haunt the first horn. Amen. And then we can serve God that way. And I don't think this is a totally illegitimate point. That there is judgment at the end of this life. Amen. I think that's still a legitimate motivator for doing right. Is there is judgment at the end of this life. And so 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust that you are, that uh, also are made manifest in your consciences. He said, there's the terror of the Lord out there. We're going to have to give an account of things done in the body ourselves, and... There's also the consequence if we don't obey somebody being lost. If I don't witness, somebody, somebody else may have to face the consequences that are out there. So there is the threat, the fear of consequences that uh, are a reason for obedience. There's the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding, and have all, they, uh, have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. There is the fear of the Lord. And boy, have we lost that in, in the day that we're living in. And it concerns me that our society's lost it. It does concern me that our society's lost it. But what concerns me worse than that is the church, which is the conscience of society, by and large, has lost it. It doesn't even enter into our thinking. And I'll have to say this, I think the reason it, a large reason that it has not, is permissive parenting has created a society that has no respect, no fear, because they got whatever they wanted coming up, and they, never, and they never got called. They never got their hand slapped, never got called on it. And part of that permissive parenting has been just simply a lack of parenting. Part of it is the fact that so many children come from, from broken homes. And so they, there's, there's not been that, that upbringing that has established that healthy. We're not talking about... We're not talking about um, Horror, but we are talking about a healthy respect from the Lord. I'm 51 years old. I love my dad. We have a, we have a wonderful relationship. But at 51, there's still a certain amount of deference that I give to my dad. Somebody asked me uh, the, the other day, uh, it's been a couple of years ago, I had two ladies talking and they heard two ladies talking and they said, one said, when is, how old was your child the last time you spanked them? She said, oh, I don't know, 16. The other one said, well, I, mine was about 15. They saw me, they said, how old were you the last time your daddy spanked you? I said, I don't know, we're both still living. I don't know, might not have be, been the last time you. Why? Because from an early age, there was that healthy respect. And I know that, that, that Jesus is our big brother. I know that God is our father. I know we have a relationship with him. I know we don't live in that kind of fear. But when you're dealing with God, you still need to remind yourself you're dealing with God. You're still dealing with God. Yes. Now, as I go through these reasons, I, I'm taking the broadest 
the broadest of reasons and, and, and really the, the most inferior of reasons first and getting in like these uh, concentric circles you're talking about on, 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 uh, on Sunday nights. I, I'm going, the, 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 the lower we get on the list, the higher the reasons are getting. You, you, you see what I'm saying there? We obey because we trust the Lord. There is a difference when your child is three, four years old and they obey because mom and daddy said so. But when your child is 18 and they are obeying because mom and daddy said so, but mom and daddy has not let them see the wisdom of why that kind of lifestyle, why we don't do certain things and do certain things, they, they, they now are not capable of existing on their own. They have to check with mom and daddy before they do everything because they don't have the ability to reason. But if they have learned to trust the wisdom of mom and dad, then it's not just obedience out of, of, of respect. It's, it's a reasonable obedience. So as we mature in faith, we obey the Lord not only because he's God and he said so, and not only because there's consequences for disobedience, but we really do know he's proven if I obey him, his way's better. Right? So there's trust. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. These, these are my mother's favorite uh, verses of scripture, by the way. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Just trust the Lord and, and follow him and obey him. You know, when Jesus was asleep during the storm on the fishing barge, the reason he could sleep is because he trusted that his father had everything under control. When I trust that God is in control of my life and he's going to do what's for my good and for his glory, then I can even trust him when I don't understand it. Right? I can just obey him. But there is even a deeper reason for obedience, and that is the obedience of love. The obedience that comes from, from love. Listen at what John 14, 15 says. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, just... Just obey. Just keep my commandments. Now, this is going to be a little bit tone deaf in our, uh, in our, our world of, uh, of the equality of the genders. But, but uh, Elaine uh, Christman um, wrote this, and she was talking about uh, her husband would often ask her at the beginning of the day, he would ask her to get something accomplished for him. Ask her to do something for him. And she said that at the end of the day, her husband would come home and, and, and more than once it would happen, she would begin to tell him all of the good things that she had done during the day. And uh, evidently she was a, a homemaker. Uh, I don't know. She probably said things like, you know, I did, you know, three, uh, three uh, loads of laundry today. I reorganized the the kitchen cabinets, 
Um, I got out and I did some gardening, and uh, and then uh, you know also uh, you know we had a couple of bills due, and I I paid those bills. One of them I had to to go across town and pay the did all of those things, and she said it. Then her husband would ask her, "Well, what about that thing I asked you to do?" And she would say, uh, "I forgot." Or I didn't get around to it. And I wonder at the end of the age. If we're going to stand before God and give him a a laundry list of all of the good things that we did. And Jesus is going to say, but what about that one thing I asked you to do? What did he ask us to do? He asked us. To go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Right? That's the, that's the one thing he asked us to do. We say, you know, Lord, every, every homecoming that we had, I was right there in the kitchen scrubbing those dishes. Is that good? Yes. Absolutely. Lord, you know, every time we had a work day, I was right there with a broom or with a shovel. What about this? What about those that stood before Jesus and said, in your name, we cast out devils. We work miracles. And Jesus says, what about that one thing that I ask you to do? (laughs) Amen. There's no substitute for obedience. You You remember how King Saul when Samuel came, God had told him to wipe out the entire uh, nation of the Amalekites, including all of the livestock and everything. And he kept a lot of the livestock. And when Samuel came, he said, why didn't you obey the Lord? He said, because I was keeping the best to sacrifice to the Lord. And what did Samuel say to him? To obey is better than to sacrifice. And we obey him because we we love him. So there there is the reasons for obedience. And then there's the risk of obedience. Now let, let, let me just go ahead and put this out to you. Obedience costs something. And it will always cost something. Now listen... The right kind of heart does not does not only balk at or not balk at the cost. The right kind of heart actually looks for things that cost more. There is an extravagance to love. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody in your life that you wanted to do something kind for and you not only did the least minimum requirement, you went overboard because you wanted just in the extravagance of the gesture to let them know how much you love them. Right? 
I mean, you, you got a friend that's sick and you call them on the phone and say, I'm praying for you. That's a blessing. But you cook a full meal and take it over to their house. That's an extravagant gesture. Right? And sometimes it's in the extravagance of the gesture that you're, 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 you know you're going overboard, but you're going overboard intentionally to prove your love to somebody. You remember David when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant by, uh, into Jerusalem and uh, of course uh, Uzzah reached out to steady it and, and, and died and he put it in the house of, uh, of, of the Jebusite and uh, I think it was Ornan I think was his name and he came, he came back uh, and God blessed him and he purchased that, that, that place. Um, actually, it was when David had, had numbered his armies and uh, did a census and God was judging him and he got, God's angel got to the threshing floor. And David saw him there and he wanted to purchase that place and purchase the livestock to make a sacrifice to the Lord and the, the, the Jebusite said, no, if it's for the Lord, I'll give it to you. And what did David say? I'm not going to sacrifice something to the Lord that costs me nothing. I don't want it for free. That's how I know David was not a Church of God pastor. He said, I don't want it. It's not worth anything if you give it to me. I want to pay for it to sacrifice to the Lord. Coleman shared with me, they get a lot of, when he was at the home for children, they get a lot of donations from people that would bring their children's clothes that they had outgrown, holes in the knees, sneakers with the, with the back's heel coming off of them, trash. That's, that's, that's not what we want to, we don't want to bring God our leftovers. We want it to cost us something. Obedience will always cost you something. It did Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, this is Philippians 2, 6 through 8, made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Listen to what John 15, 20 says. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Jesus said, you can expect the kind of treatment that I got. You're going to be persecuted just like I am. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I've always found this interesting. Jesus did not say, let him take up my cross. He said, let him take up his cross. Why? Because the cross that Jesus died on was not his cross. It was my cross. Is your cross. We were the ones that were worthy of death. And he said, if any man's going to follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. There is a price 
There's a risk of obedience, a price, a cost to obedience. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Hebrews 11.25, This was Moses choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. Philippians 3.8, Yea, doubtless, Paul said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. All the things, all the religious accolades that, that were due me, I, I not only refused it, rejected it, I counted it as excrement, as manure. Those things that at once I was so proud of, those things that were my trophies, not, not only have I begrudgingly laid those aside, they're actually nauseating. They're, they're, they're repellent to me. I'm offended by them so that I can win Christ. There, there is a risk of obedience. Now, here's the thing. There is a cost to obedience, but there's also a cost to disobedience. I had somebody, a very wise man, teach me this one day. He said, if you go into a, uh, a convenience store and you decide, I'm going to buy a Snicker bar. And he said, you go back and you get that Snicker bar and halfway to the counter you say, I don't need to spend this money. I sure don't need the calories. I'm going to put the Snicker bar back. Already had your dollar in your hand for your Snicker bar, and you put the dollar in your pocket and put the Snicker bar back, and you leave the convenience store. Did it cost you anything? Now, most people say, no, it did cost you something. It cost you the Snicker bar. Right? You still got your dollar, but you don't have your Snicker bar. Every decision costs something. Even the decision not to decide costs something. There is a cost, yes, to obedience, but there's also a cost to disobedience. And what we have to, what we have to get our mind around is the price that we pay for disobedience is so much greater than the price we'll pay for obedience. Miss, I, I'm not just talking about heaven and hell now. I'm talking about what of the great things that God wants to do in us, wants to do with us, wants to do through us, wants to do for us, and we miss out on them because we choose not to obey. Right? It, it, there is a risk to obedience, but it's a risk that is always rewarded. And here's the reward of obedience. Again, to our text in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. What happened with Jesus? Because he became obedient, form of a servant, became obedient even to death, the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This was a reward of his obedience. What's our reward? 2 Timothy 2.12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. When we suffer for Christ's sake, we suffer gladly because when we suffer for him and with him, we will also reign with him. Romans 16 uh, Romans 8, 16 through 19, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. Paul said, and Paul had suffered, and he gave a list of his sufferings. In fact, Paul said, I'll, if I've got the glory, if you pin me down, if you pin me down of what I'm proud of, I won't tell you that it was, that, that I was because I was born a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning the righteousness which was in the law, blameless. I won't tell you those things. I won't glory in those things. I won't boast in those things. I won't brag about those things. If you've got to pin me down and, let, and, and if you're going to make me brag about something, I'm going to brag about the fact I was beaten three times with rods. Three times I, I had stripes put on my back. 39 times each time I was in peril of the sea. I was in peril of my countrymen. I was a shipwrecked, imprisoned. If you just, if you want me to, if I got to brag about something, that's what I'll brag about. Why? Because the sufferings, if I took a cosmic uh, fulcrum and put on one side of that scale all of my suffering, and put on the other side the glory that waits me. There's no comparison. The weight, the exceeding weight of glory that awaits me. Now boy, you, you can get through some hard times when you know what's waiting on you. That's why we have that hope, that earnest expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 17 we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus raised up, uh, shall also raise us up by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, is that happening to all of us? Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
Now Paul here says the reward has both quantity and quality. Its quality is it's going to be better than anything we've ever imagined. Anything we've ever experienced, anything we can possibly dream of, it's exceeding in quality. And the quantity is it's eternal. It's never ending. Right? Have you ever had some some good moments with family and friends that in that moment you thought, this is so wonderful. This is life at its best. I just wish it could go on forever. But it doesn't, does it? It doesn't go on forever. All of us sitting here have lost loved ones that we thought, boy, I I just wish that I could be with them again. But everything we've ever known has an end, don't it? But at the end of time, the glory that waits us is better than anything that we've ever known and it'll last longer than anything we've ever known. In fact, it will last eternally. That's the reward for obedience. I went down a few years ago with the family when the kids were young. We went down to Jacksonville Zoo and we were waiting in a long line to get in. And as uh, is my norm, it was hot and sweaty, but I didn't let that kind of thing affect, affect me. Long lines and loud crowds and irritating youngins, that didn't affect my mood any. I, I didn't get an attitude. I didn't complain. I didn't murmur. And I don't lie from the pulpit. (laughs) I did all those things. And finally got to the head of the line. Boy, I was aggravated, upset, don't know why they, I guess whoever ran Walmart runs Jacksonville Zoo because they didn't have enough people to get you through there. And it was going to cost us $55 to get in there. And if we put, it to add, put the add-on with it, it's going to cost us $80. And I got up there to the line after waiting in that line, aggravated, hot, all that. I got up there and the lady said, it's $2 day today. We even added the, the add-on and still got in there for $50 less than what we thought it was going to cost. And my patience was rewarded. I'm going to tell you, listen, that long line waiting to get to eternity, sometimes it gets aggravating. But when you get there, it's going to be so much better than what you thought it was. Listen at Matthew 25, 21. This is the reward of obedience. Listen to this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. And I will make you ruler over many. In many respects, respects, this life 
is a training for reigning. It's a training ground for what God's going to bless us with in the next life. It's training for reigning. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria had just had enough. He was tired of being king. You know, the crown lies heavy on the head. And it's lonely at the top. He was tired of palace intrigue. He was tired of, of international and national issues and problems. He decided, he, and he was a Christian, he decided he was going to give it all up and go become a monk. So he went to a, a local monastery in Bavaria. Prior Richard was the, the guy's name that ran the monastery. And he said, listen, I want to spend the rest of my life just meditating and contemplating on the Lord and spend the rest of my life in this monastery. I'm, give, I'm, I'm giving up the crown. And Prior Richard said, Your Majesty, you do know that when you take the pledge here, the pledge that you're taking is one of obedience. He said, oh, I know that. He said, you know, that's going to be hard for you because you've, you've been used to being the king. You've been used to giving the orders and not receiving orders. He said, prior, I, I commit to you that the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as the Lord leads you. So Prior Richard looked at him and said, well, I tell you what I want you to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has placed you. So he went back and ruled his, na his nation and when King Henry died, a statement was written the king learned to rule by being obedient. Jesus became obedient even unto the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And then Paul says, let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. If you want to reign in the world to come, you learn how to reign, you learn how to rule by being obedient. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're praying, God, that you would impress upon us, Lord, not only the need to obey, but the desire to obey. And I'm praying, God, that you would put that to the test this week for us. I'm asking that sometime before the end of this week that we're going to be faced with an opportunity to obey you. Lord, for some, it may be seeing somebody on the street that needs our help. For some, it may be your whisper in the middle of the night to crawl out of the bed and pray or a reminder to call and check on somebody the next day. It may be heeding your call, Lord, to, to get into your word or to fast a meal. But some way, somehow, oh God, 
We're not just asking you to test us. We're asking you to give us the opportunity to show our love to you by obeying. And we thank you for it and ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.